You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to put a reminder for anybody that didn't listen all the way through last week's episode that we are still looking for Tepe's guitar. So we have another week before the giveaway ends that I put together. There is a Fender Trapper fuzz up for grabs. And we're trying to utilize the power of Instagram to maybe bring this guitar back into his life. Years ago, from a storage unit they had, that Thrice had, Tepe had a black Les Paul Custom that he just loved, stolen. And he's never been able to recover it, so we're trying to see if maybe somehow somebody ended up with it. So if you go to Instagram, you will see the post I made announcing the episode, and it's a picture of Tepe playing the guitar. My brain's failing. Playing the guitar, and it says hashtag find Tepe's Les Paul. So all you need to do is reshare that picture and the serial number of the Les Paul on Instagram. The serial number is 824-855-30. And we have another week before the contest is over, and I'm going to randomly select from anyone who uses that hashtag, hashtag find Tepe's Les Paul, and posts that picture. I'm going to randomly scroll through and pick somebody to win the Trapper Fuzz next week. So you have a week to do it. If you're just now hearing this episode or just now finding about this, you can still do it. You still have till February 17th to try to help us out here. Okay, my guest today is named Kyle Cypress. He plays in a band called The Devil Wears Prada, who you may have heard of if you were a fan of any of the other bands that have been featured on this podcast. There's a good chance you have heard of them. They have a new record out, and they're getting ready to do some touring, and he talks about all that stuff. He has a really interesting story and an approach that I'm coming to find more and more common in the touring world. So he's a really cool dude, a genuine gear nerd, and yeah, I'll shut up now and let you get into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Kyle Cypress from The Devil Wears Prada. What's going on, dude? Not too much, man. How you doing? Pretty good. Just uh, just hanging in there today, but uh, this is, I've been looking forward to this since NAMM, so I'm glad we're we're getting around to doing this. This, this, yeah, this one came around rather quickly. Sometimes it takes a couple of years of trying to <laughs> schedule people. So this is cool. Yeah. Well, who was it, Ryan? That was the one who introduced us, Ryan Fezrocious. Yeah, he's he's the best. He is the man. I love that guy so much. It's, it's probably he's probably overdue for another appearance on the cast. It's been Oh yeah. It's probably, it's probably been like a year or so since he's been on. That's ridiculous. He needs to come back on. He's a very good guy. Love him. For sure. For sure. So maybe we'll start with you and telling your backstory. I mean, I know the band's been around for a long time at this point, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and maybe we can just start with your musical backstory. When did you start playing guitar? And then you can tell the story of you with the band and we'll get into all the other nonsense we get into on this thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's uh, far too many uh, details to get into, but I'll just say I've been playing guitar for I don't know, since middle school or whatever, like seventh grade and been in numerous local and regional bands here and there. But I guess I'll get into how I got involved with Prada. Um, so I was actually in between bands in 2013 and uh, a friend, co-worker of mine had a uh, boyfriend that was going to meet at a bar one night, a place called Longman and Eagle in Chicago. If anyone's familiar with that, it's a great spot. Went out there and uh, uh, her boyfriend's name was Mike, who I was unaware of. That was the singer of Prada. And uh, we got to hanging out for quite a while. And then one day he asked me if I wanted a guitar tech, the gig being Riot Fest. So I started guitar teching for like a 20,000 person attendant show. And uh, from that day on, I just started guitar teching for Chris specifically who ended up leaving in 2014 and then they asked me to take his position and ever since then I've been gigging with him. 
Was that kind of a trip to be thrown right into the fire like that? Like, I don't know. I don't think most people start their first uh, guitar tech gig with something <laughs> that big. It was, but uh, at the same time, just um, I think given that I was working at a restaurant for about a year, I was kind of just ready to take anything that put me back into music. So I was pretty excited to take that that job. And then they were happy with the job that I was doing. So it was exciting. Did you, you had some prior experience though, clearly, because that's not, uh, that's not something you just jump into and know immediately how to handle it. What were you doing before that? Yeah. I mean, I've never done anything like professionally guitar tech or whatever, but I've always been, uh, kind of just DIY furthering my knowledge of setting up guitars and fixing pedals and things like that. Nothing super extreme, but you know, setting up guitars, the most basic stuff, just keeping the, keeping the gear all maintained and whatnot. So it was pretty seamless. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, maybe we can go back a little bit further. What did you, you know, when you first picked up the guitar, like, what was it? Like, this is the kind of nerd stuff that people like to get into on that show. So what was (laughs) it? first? My first guitar that I picked up, my dad got me a, some kind of court acoustic thing. And, uh, yeah, just kind of played around on some, like, I don't even remember, like some incubus and stuff. Um, and then from there, I was obviously eager to get an electric guitar and my dad got me like a pawn shop. I think it was an Ibanez RG 220. It was like the kind of Ibanez you get as like a amp guitar cable, uh, guitar pack kind of deal. Right. So not the best guitar, but hearing distortion coming out of an amp, I was like, all right, this is sick. Let's keep going. <laughs> this is the thing. This is the thing this I've been looking for. than acoustic guitar. So let's keep going. <laughs> that is exactly how I felt. It was like, this is this is what I've been missing. This is what Metallica does. Yep, I, I can right. now do I can now do exactly what Metallica does. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> so nuts. But so from there, you obviously started you played in some local bands and all that that stuff you were talking about. What what kind of bands were they? What what kind of music pulled you in? I mean, the early stuff was just like the friends I had that were interested in playing music, just anything from green day to whatever, you know? So it was just kind of like cover songs at first or whatever. And then moving into like some kind of pop punk pop rock. And then from there, it was just like ever evolving into whatever. Um, And yeah, I mean, I've been in just so many bands, a lot of them just generally rock like not rock and roll, but you know, whatever. Hard um, rock. Like, yeah, it was never, I've never been in like, uh, I had never been in any like heavier metal bands or anything like that. So it's kind of funny that I'm in the Devil Wears product currently being that I never grew up playing that type of music, but it was a fun challenge to, uh, try to conquer. And it's been fun ever since. That was that was kind of what I was curious about. It it seems like everyone has a different story. Sometimes people hang out in the heavier regions their entire life, but more often than not, I'm starting to discover that people start with like Green Day and then eventually yeah. end up in in a metalcore situation. Yeah, I mean the the local shows I used to go to back in the day in the northwest uh, northwest Indiana southwest Michigan scene was very hardcore metalcore that whole that whole scene back in the day so our band would always get uh teamed up with way heavier bands than what we were and we kind of just had friendships within those realms so it's always been familiar to me i just never played in those types of bands so it was was fun gotcha gotcha did your gear have to drastically change going from from the kind of the lighter side to the heavier side? Uh, a bit, yeah. I've, I've uh, for the past, I don't know, 15 years, I've had this uh, 74 Marshall JMP um, that I love. And obviously, I needed to step up. So at first, when Chris left, I just kind of took his rig, which was like the 6505s. Or he had the 6534 or whatever. It was the EL34 version of it. Okay. So I played those for a while. I liked them. They sound great, but 
um, in terms of like the higher gain stuff, I was always a Soldano fan. So I ended up grabbing a, a Soldano Avenger Hot Rod 100. And then I just went in between uh, my JMP for clean and the Soldano for dirty. And that's more or less still what I'm using, except I've moved into the uh, Synergy world. Oh, I, see. I hear a lot of guys starting to go that way. What What's your Synergy setup look like? So my Synergy is, it's just so simple. It's a, uh, I have a four space rack with a Furman, a uh, wireless unit, and then I have the Sin 2, which is like the dual module. And I have the SLO and a Morgan AC, which covers my dirty and clean. And I'm not even using cabs anymore on stage, which is insane. Because I have, if you saw my rig right before this, I had three four twelves and three heads going pretty much simultaneously with a bunch of radial gear and rack shit. And it just got overly complicated. And every time we're on tour with these bands who have these little Kempers and Axe effects things, like, you know, you want to slim down, but you don't want to compromise your tone. And... I was like kind of starting to look into the Kemper realm and every time I've played one, I still, I don't love it. I'm impressed by the technology. It's really cool what you can do with them, but it was like, I just don't want to like just use it just because it saves space in the trailer or is easier to set up and carry around. And then, uh, Andy from every time I die hit me up about his, uh, his synergy rig. And I figured if he's using it, he's pretty, He's pretty anal about amps and whatnot as well. So uh, he he hooked me up with Jeff over at Synergy and Jeff let me try some stuff out. And it was kind of the like, this is going to be too good to be true if it works. And it was, or it wasn't. It was, I mean, it was perfect. Like I AB'd my Soldano against the, the Synergy Soldano. And I was like, if there's a difference, they both sound good. I don't know. Like you still right. get the tube compression, you still get everything. And at that time, uh, Jeff also from Synergy sent me over their, uh, their tube, um, power amp. So I was just kind of doing that. And we had a, uh, we had a day after recording the record, the most recent record, the act where we played, a. Well, I guess it was two days after we finished, we played a show in New Jersey at a place called the Starlin ballroom which is a beautiful venue, great PA. And we had a rehearsal day there. So I did kind of the, the three-way test of um, using the Synergy with the power amp, using it with the power amp, like going through my cabs and uh, the cab sim on the back and then just the cab sim. And it just won. It sounded better. Our front of house dude liked it a lot more because there's less bleed to deal with and everything. But... It just sounds good. The consistency in my in-ears is awesome. And uh, yeah, it's the first thing, like like I said, where I'm not compromising my tone and I get to have a way smaller package. And the fact that you get to take that little thing overseas and it sounds the exact same is awesome. Do you notice any difference in not physically feeling the the air move? Because that's always been my, my gripe with going straight. Of course, I've never actually played the Synergy rig, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, but like every time I go with anything that's just straight in headphones, I, I feel like I'm losing, I don't, I feel like I don't play like myself because I feel stiffer and I like right. I'm missing that cab hitting me in the back and all that. But do you, you aren't getting that with this, I'm assuming. Well, the thing is, uh, with my last, with my last setup, especially I had, uh, so I had my my Soldano Avenger, and then I also had uh, this custom amp company out of Chicago called uh, Dean Costello Amps. It's called the HMW, the Heavy Metal Warfare, which is like probably one of the sickest uh, high gain amps that I've ever played. But it's 144 watts, so Ooh. I had both of those going at the same time to two four by twelves, and even at like two and a half on each. I had to have my cabs turned around backwards. So like for the longest time, I, I didn't really have that. There's like a little stage rumble or whatever still, but I didn't have that. So it wasn't that crazy. And then with the synergy stuff, I just will put in stuff like side fill or uh, through the monitors on the floor just to get some rumble. And honestly, it feels better because 
my my tone is just more consistent in my ears and i still have that like ability to feedback and all that stuff just like a normal cab this is a really a have your cake and eat it too type situation yeah starting to sound like what about your pedal board what's it looking like so my pedal board currently i have uh the pedal train classic or the pro or whatever it is um i have a tapestry audio bloomery volume pedal and then i'm using a uh, mastermind pbc 10 it's like the looper midi guy and then i've got the fortin grind going into the front of my soldano i have an isp decimator and then i'm using the spectral tempest which is that uh reverb delay engine deal yeah yeah the gfi right yeah it's very sick and then i've got a pog and a red panda raster oh the raster's great that's such a fun pedal but i mean it switches up every tour i don't like to i don't like to bring out things that i'm not using on the set list that we're using so it does drastically change do you have a lot more at home Oh yeah, I've got about, <laughs> I think I'm sitting on like 68 pedals or something off my board right now. Yeah. Very into uh, very into the effects world. When did you start getting into that? Um, honestly, probably, I feel like I've always been into it, but uh, being able to afford things has only been probably the last five years where I can find a pedal I like and just grab it. So... Yeah, my uh, my collection has accumulated pretty quick in the last several years. I can I can relate to that. I <laughs> I I didn't start really getting getting crazy until about that same that same yeah. time frame, and then then getting into the industry, it was like, oh boy, this is yeah, this is dangerous. This is a very <laughs> dangerous game. <laughs> <laughs> my, to the point where, like, whenever I bring in the mail, my four year old is like. Did you get a new pedal today? <laughs> I'm like, no, not not. That doesn't happen every day. My wife's like, uh, not every day, but you know, yeah. seems like more days than not. I'm like, oh boy, this this <laughs> might not be a good thing to teach my children. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a problem. Just gotta address it. Just be like, don't do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Maybe one of those. This, this overdrive sounds way better than this overdrive, so you're gonna really want it. <laughs> my my little boy my like nine month old he he seems to have like more of a uh a reaction than my older kid did like he'll just come out and sit on the floor now keep in mind this kid is like wild he yeah he's into everything he will but he'll come out here and he will sit in one spot on the floor and watch me play guitar for like a half hour and That's like great. He, and he just sits there like in amazement. Um, my other kid wouldn't really do that. He seems to be more interested in drums. But the yeah, Rocky, the youngest, he just was like, All right, let's watch dad play and noodle around and make bleep bloop sounds, which is That's sick. Hey, if I can get him to sit still for a little bit, that is a win <laughs> at this point. It's a big win. Have you opinion. uh have you ever put the guitar uh, in his hands? Is he interested in in trying it out? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, grandpa and grandma got him one of those three quarter uh, Squire strats for Christmas. Nice. And he just immediately, yeah, he loves touching guitars. Like that's, it's, it's actually kind of like, I don't know how much I'm just projecting this on him and want him to be into <laughs> it or how much he like just kind of naturally has this interest, but he, his eyes light up when he sees one and he like starts crawling towards it. But that's sick. He, he's so young at this point. It's kind of hard to tell, but mm-hmm. It's. It seems like he might already have the bug, which is uh, which is That's cool. Rad. I, mean, I wish good... I would have had that that uh, I guess opportunity when I was younger to even check one out. It had been yeah. It was not until I was in my like my teenage years that I my early teenage years that I got to like decide whether or not I liked it. Yeah, I was always kind of interested in it, but I I didn't have my dad didn't doesn't really play electric that much he's mm-hmm. primarily an acoustic player and so i've always been interested in the the harder side of things and even from a, a young age and he, he's not a gearhead at all so i would ask him like 
how do you get your guitars to sound like Linkin Park? And he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't know. It's not as, you know, he's busy playing William yeah. Jennings songs, you know, that's what he does. Nothing wrong with that. No, I'm not complaining. I love that music too. It just, it was oh, yeah. a, it's just a different, it's kind of a different thing. Different to, world for sure. Absolutely. So I asked this about uh, from a lot of guys that have had some experience touring and I get various answers, but without incriminating anybody, what's the craziest thing you've seen on, on tour? Oh man, the craziest thing or most interesting thing. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be crazy. Sometimes yeah. I phrase it that, that way. Honestly, it's so, there's so many varying things. Um, I don't even know. I think an interesting thing that just pops into my mind um, hearing that question. Uh, we were on Mayhem Tour, or that Mayhem Fest Tour. It was actually the last year. I think it was 2015. Um, when we were in Vegas, we got invited to go to uh, Vinnie Paul's house for his barbecue. Whoa. Which was pretty funny because <laughs> by the time we got there, um, it was pretty late and there was like, our merch guy was like in the pool when I got there, which like his pool was like, <laughs> it was like this, like what I imagine like the Playboy Mansion pool to look like where it has like a little cave and like a jacuzzi on top and all this shit, right, like a right. water slide, like walk into the house and there's like six small tube TVs all lined up, like making one picture and all these like cardboard cutouts of Vinnie Paul everywhere and stuff. And, um, I think there was like several of like the King Diamond crew was there and like not a lot of people. And I don't, I think Vinnie Paul like just left as we got there. So we're just kind of like in his house, like drinking and eating all this food that he made. And well, that's kind of <laughs> weird. It was pretty weird experience, honestly, but it was pretty cool. He was a super nice guy on the whole tour. Like he would have his, uh, his little grill outs and things all the time, which was pretty surreal. Cause he's just like, he was the nicest dude and, he liked cooking for people and providing a good time, but definitely being in his house, just kind of like getting wasted and <laughs> him not being there with a bunch of random people was pretty funny. It seems like in the, I'm getting more exposed to, I, I definitely come at this through the gear world and starting to get exposed to more of the, the band side and the, the actual performance side of things. I'm seeing like, it's you know because I'm I'm just a fan of all this stuff. You know, sure. I just I just talk to people on the internet and I'm and you know I'm the guy you know out in the crowd out in the mosh pit like and seeing the other side. I got really fortunate recently. Got to interview Tepe from Thrice and very nice. The listeners will know that I'm a huge fanboy. <laughs> like yeah, huge. Thrice fan. is very sick. Oh man, love those guys so much. But like just and then we're just hanging out back you know backstage and everything mm -hmm. and my friend jess and i you know we're both massive fans and we're just kind of like looking at each other like what are we doing here like <laughs> yeah how did how did we get here like <laughs> and everyone's chill there was no nobody like having an ego trip or any rock star right. nonsense it wasn't like anyone was making it weird but us in our head because in our head we're still 15 and right you know just discovering this stuff so see, seeing behind the curtain is kind of wild yeah, there's, uh, I've, I mean, I've, I've felt that just being on tour before, like even on just mayhem, like I was just talking about, like coming out of the shower and like Tom Araya's right there and he's just laughing at me because I'm just in a towel or something. And I'm like, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what am I doing right how now? How on earth did that happen? Yeah. Um, it's very sick that you, did you, was that the VSU show? Yes. Yeah. It was the Oof. second, second show of that tour. Very jealous. I cannot see that show on or i cannot see that tour with my schedule right now and that bums me out that's um, probably my favorite thrice record that one changed everything for me like it really did it 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 made me go from like this straight up hardcore kid to like oh wait things can have more nuance <laughs> yeah and be more you know more subtle with what you're saying mm -hmm. and, and instead of like i was just eternally looking for the next heaviest thing up until right. that record came out it's pretty heavy still. It's pretty it is. sick. It is heavy. It does, it's not I'm not trying to downplay it. At <laughs> no, all. no, no, I know. But yeah, it's it was it's just but then you go from, you know, songs like Hold Fast Hope and then Music Box. 
Right. It's just just a different dynamic that I wasn't used to. They are a uh, ever evolving band and I appreciate that about them for sure. Speaking of evolving this latest record that you guys did. Wow. Like that's, that seemed to take it things to the, like in the opposite way, take, take things to the next level. What was that like going through that process? Well, so we, we had been, uh, throwing around ideas for what the next record was going to be. And it was like, uh, we talked about doing like a zombie two kind of thing. And then we, uh, we kind of just started writing again and uh, our keyboardist and I um, were kind of sitting on like, I think we had like 30 something songs and they all just kind of fit within the transit blues world, which was the record right before that. And they just kind of seemed like an extension of that record, which, you know, we're really proud of that record. But at the same time, there was a lot of things that happened during that record that didn't allow the songs to be, done as well as they could have been or written as well as they could have been. But um, when we got into it as well, we're kind of just trying to figure out what do we do? And a lot of us, well, none of us really listen to like a ton of metalcore or or anything that's in the genre that we are put in. So we're trying to think of like, we basically just, we scrapped all of those previous demos that we had and kind of got down to the drawing board and we're like, all right, well, what are we going to do here? First thing we need to do is make sure that we write songs that fit both Mike and Jeremy's vocals rather than just write a bunch of riffs and try to cram some vocals on top of it. The main focus was let's, let's put the vocals in the forefront because that's what makes a great song. Great. As well as let's write music that we would listen to and truly enjoy. So with that came a lot of, uh, a lot of searching for what this next record was going to be. And I, we didn't know what it was going to be like some of the songs. I think we sat on like almost 80 um, before we came down to the final ones. And they are, there are some vast, a vast array of types of songs and tunings and heavy and not heavy. And just some that didn't even have guitar, some that had, you know, whatever. And it, it came down to what we had, but yeah, we're all super, super happy with how it turned out. Cause it feels like, uh, feels like something that we all enjoy. We want to show people, we want to talk to our friends about it this time rather than just like, yeah, we threw out another record. Not that that's how we do it, but, um, yeah. So it is a huge departure, but it's also, you know, we're in our thirties now and the band has been around long before I was in it. And, I think it's coming up on 15 years now, which is pretty crazy. That is nuts. You know, they were young kids in high school writing just like some crazy metalcore songs that like kind of changed things up in a way for a lot of people. And I think there's just a little bit more intention in that now. Um, I think everybody would agree with that as well. It's just back then it was, you know, you're young, let's have fun, let's be crazy. And it fits, you know those old songs fit the uh, the mindset of the younger people that were in the band. And now it's just, we're older. We've gone through so many different experiences and we're adults. And uh, that's kind of what came out. It's, it's really a great record. I think it's probably one of my favorites out of all the ones that the band has done. And thank you. It, it might be my favorite actually. I don't know. It's hard to say. There's, there's some that. nostalgia there. You know, when things are 15 years old, you definitely yeah, have some absolutely. nostalgia factors. <laughs> but uh, this record is truly, it's great. And I I haven't, I think the reception has been really positive as well. Has that been? Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. It, I mean, it sold better than the last two records, which is pretty crazy given the trajectory of buying music at this point. Right. Um, but even then, like... I think overall, we're just like, we're still so much more proud of this record. We put, I mean, we just put so much into it. We recorded most of it live. Um, and it was just like the process that we went through and the people that we worked with, like the, we've usually worked with Dan Corniff in the past and he's 
a phenomenal producer and engineer. I actually hung out with him several nights at NAMM. Um, but this time again, with just like doing things differently, it was like, let's do everything differently. Let's start from scratch. So we actually had our, our keyboardist, John, produce the record. And he did a bunch of writing on it as well, um, even lyrically. And uh, it was a a very great process um, in terms of just changing things up. And John is unknown to most people. He, uh, he does a lot of writing and producing for all kinds of bands um, that you've definitely heard of before. So it was not a new experience for him. And to have our whole group kind of just be able to make all the decisions in house was, I think worked out for the best. You mentioned that none of you are really listening to the metalcore <laughs> genre. Is that kind of a weird thing? Because I, I can't hardly imagine like not listening to the genre you play in. And I'm not <laughs> saying that as a critique, but like it would be, it, I feel like it would be difficult for me to to create in that space if that's not the scene I was sort of putting myself in. Right. Well, and that's kind of that's kind of the thing as well with. Um, you know, writing these new songs, it was, excuse me, it was, um, you know, we were writing with a like pre filter of, we have to fit these into the metalcore genre. Whereas this time we're like, all right, let's just take that filter off and just write the way we would. And obviously there's still some, you know, metal, metalcore, whatever pieces El to the new elements. record. Is, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it just, it seems like, and we all kind of have the same mindset that like the metalcore genre seems to have just kind of plateaued and like I scour uh, Apple Music every Friday for new releases and things. And it just seems like I haven't heard anything new. A lot of things are just getting recycled and which is fine. Um, but, you know, I'd like to hear some new stuff and it seems like the metalcore genre has just kind of become stale. Um, so it is a little weird to exist in that realm, but at the same time, like it does seem like a lot of bands that were in that realm already are making that same uh, assessment and kind of growing and, and pushing themselves. So it's, it is moving forward, but I think it's just kind of a, it's the natural progression of, of bands who have been around for as long as Prada has been that you got to start to change things up and keep it interesting for yourself as well as uh, your listeners. So what kind of stuff are you listening to? Oh, so many. I know that's a very, things. very difficult question <laughs> for most yeah. people. Um, I mean, it just, it varies so much. Um, currently I've been listening to, I'm trying to think like, uh, like, well, I've stole this you, move from another podcast in the past. This might make it easier for you if you have your phone handy. Yeah. Do you have it handy? Let's see. So just pull up uh, Apple Music and what's the last thing you listen to? I stole that from the Make More Music podcast, by the way. I was on it and he, he had me call. do that. Yeah, instead of asking me what I just asked you, he was like, pull your phone out and tell me what the last <laughs> thing you listened to was. And I was like, that is so much easier than me trying to just think about what it was. So the last two... Uh, Sabrina Claudio and Friggs. Friggs is a, a Canadian like post-punk band that's really sick. Um, I've also listened to this uh, artist called Arthur Moon. A lot of the artists I listen to are like female-fronted, female vocalists. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so those are the most cool. recent ones. Not very <laughs> guitar-heavy, but I've also been trying to focus more on songwriting rather than uh, riffing. I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. It's been helpful. Especially, yeah. Apparently it's been very helpful. <laughs> 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 the results speak for themselves, I suppose. But uh, let's see. Let's go to, let's go to, I, I have a Facebook group with this podcast. And if I can remember, I will ask them for questions for, for guests. So let's slide in there. Yeah, and see if anybody has anything that isn't silly, because oftentimes <laughs> my listeners like silly questions because, well, 
that makes sense because that's kind of kind of the person <laughs> I am. So uh, let's see. Here we go. We got uh, John Schick Jr. This is oh, I've never I've never thought about this question. What book does he think listeners should read? Oh, see, that's that's going to be a hard one for me because I am not an avid reader. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just have to say whichever book speaks to you most, pick it up. Okay, it. <laughs> that works. That works. That is a good one. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is a this is a silly question, but I like it too much to not to not use it. So we're gonna go we're gonna go with it. Let's do it. Uh, David David Leong wants to know which starting Pokemon in the original game. Ooh. I don't know. See, that's another question. I was like the uh I was like the trader and seller of Pokemon cards, but I didn't really play that much. Ooh, you were hustling. So. Yeah, I was in like middle school getting all the holograms and selling them off to the other kids. <laughs> Trying to make that side cash. <laughs> I hear you. So Charmander, because that's the only right answer. So let's we're just going to move on from that. Yeah, let's go Charmander. Here's a gear-related one. This is a, this is a good gear-related one. So uh, Zach Stanberry asks, uh, if you had to build a hardcore rig, and I'm assuming he kind of means like, Heavy, heavier metal is what mm-hmm. I'm assuming he means by that. For less than fifteen hundred, what would it be? Under fifteen hundred? Yeah, less than fifteen hundred. Let's say fifteen hundred tops. Well, let's see. Hmm, hardcore rig. Hardcore as in, I don't know. I guess I think you. I think he probably means just like heavier music. Yeah rig man see that's so hard to answer now because of the amps that i've played and own which are right more than 1500 at least at least 1500 by themselves yes let's just say you find a really good deal again i'm going to go back to the uh, dean costello hmw which is okay slightly more than 1500 but do that and just find some shitty like pv 4 by 12 or something you'll be good okay <laughs> <laughs> that'll work <laughs> yeah all right let's see what else do we have in here we have a look actually have a lot of a lot of questions but some of them don't make any sense to me so i don't know what to say <laughs> um well this is actually this is a little more in depth than we kind of went into it when we were talking about the new record but maybe you have more highlights you can you can give tyler aldridge he wants to know how do they maintain the ability to stay relevant in an ever-changing genre? How much has the songwriting shifted intentionally as each new EP and album has dropped? So I guess I would expand on that to, and to say, be, you know, based on what you said previously, was there much of a shift in the methods for the earlier records, or did that major shift come on the act? Uh, in terms of writing, yeah, I think a lot has changed. Um, being that so the guy replaced Chris Ruby. He was kind of the main the main songwriter, um, and he kind of just he would put songs together. And they used to literally just like write twelve, thirteen songs, and that was the record. Um, and we've tried even like I think uh, Space EP was kind of like that. After he had left, we each kind of just wrote a couple songs, and that was the Space EP. And then Transit Blues was like I think we had like three songs left over that we didn't use or something like that. But so with Chris not writing and um, with John taking over so much of the, the writing and producing and, and me writing a lot as well. um, And just really everybody kind of putting more, more of their say into it. And uh, as far as the relevancy thing, I mean, that's just kind of, however that gets accepted in the public, but, uh, right. yeah, we just, you know, try to do things differently and do them naturally and make sure that they feel good to, to all of us before, uh, we can put it out and see if everybody else thinks it's nice. Well, we talked about pedals and we talked about amps, but because I'm a dingus, we didn't talk about guitars before we started sliding into more general questions. So maybe yeah. we should talk about your guitars a little bit since Definitely. this is supposedly what, what this podcast is about. Well, or so I'm told. Um, yeah. Well, my, uh, my favorite guitars and the guitars that I use uh, everywhere are Dunnable. So I have 
three right now. I've got a Dunnable Yarnhawk, a Dunnable Yeti, and a Dunnable Cyclops. And then I have an R2 being built right now because I can't get enough of them. Um, and Sasha is just the man. Um, he's so cool. I have put an Evertune in my most recent one, which I love. And I use uh, Bare Knuckle Blackhawks. I have them covered, uh, nickel covered, because uh, I have a problem with having super caustic sweat. And I will short out guitars, like three of them per set. So I had to start covering my pickups. And, really? Uh, it's been very helpful. <laughs> yeah. So do you eat strings alive too? Uh, yeah, I change strings almost every show. Like I'll, I'll test them the day of, but generally pretty much every day I change strings just because my sweat is insane. Um, and we're using Ernie ball strings right now. We've got like, uh, 13 to 62s and 14 to 68s. So I got some pretty big Let's guys. Let's talk about those. Those. Yeah, those are pretty beefy. I, I like heavier strings myself, yeah. even on even in standard tuning. It's just kind of it's nice. I started breaking breaking nines when I was a kid because mm -hmm. I hit my guitars and broke the strings <laughs> yeah. like a moron. And I thought, how do I avoid this? And so I went to 11s and then stopped having that problem. But yeah. then I, I didn't realize that was I didn't even realize at the time that that was a heavier string. Right. I was just like, oh, these work. Yeah, better. OK, <laughs> these work better. And yeah, it's harder to play, and I just got used to it. It was weird. But let's talk about the Evertunes, because I have zero experience with the Evertunes. I don't even really know how they work. I just know that they seem to be slightly controversial yeah. in the They're the scary, world. for sure. What's, um, what's going on with those things? So it's basically just this, it's a spring system that goes underneath your pickups. It's a, a quite a chunk of wood has to get cut out of the base of your guitar, which is why it's super scary. Um, okay. The guitars I use are pure mahogany and they're super heavy. So honestly, it doesn't really do much, um, out of my guitars. I can't notice a difference, honestly. And if there is again, you're not going to notice the difference coming through front of house. Um, however, so the thing I think that everyone gets scared about is the system is built so that, uh, the main intention is that you set it up. And no matter how you bet, how hard or far you bend your strings, the note does not change. So you tune oh. it, you set it up, put the intonation correctly or get the intonation set up. And then it stays there forever. And it's great. Um, really great for recording like rhythm guitars and stuff. <clears throat> However, there are ways you can set it up so that it bends, but it stays in tune as well. And I, I'm a very bendy guitar player. So all of my strings bend still. However, you just, it lowers the, uh, the range of your guitar going out of tune. So like it, the way I have it set up, it will throughout the set just barely go out of tune and I'll tune it up a little bit. But even then it's like, I could not touch it the entire set and it would be great. It's just like, I've also found that like having it that in tune, is great because just like the harmonics are richer through chords and everything sounds better. And so now, uh, I got Jeremy, our other guitar player and singer using one as well. And like, we sound, I think we sound great. Um, it's, it's scary to, to commit to putting it in your guitar for sure, but it's, I couldn't recommend it more, honestly, especially for our type of music. I'm going to have to try it one of these days. I, I don't have an opinion on it currently. That's, that's where I <laughs> yeah. stand is still like, I, I just don't know. I've never, I've never played one to experience it, but that, I didn't know that about the, the bendy stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm, a, I, I do a lot of cranking and bending mm -hmm. on, on my guitars as well. So that might be a hard thing for me to get used to. I'm not sure. I mean, but then again, I'm generally fretting things wrong. And so it's out of <laughs> tune anyway. I don't and, know. It, and it's nice for that as well. But I also have a, uh, so we generally play in like drop B, um, but we have a couple songs that we're playing that are in drop G sharp, which is insane. So I have this set up in drop G sharp with my routine and it's perfect. Like I've to have a perfectly intonated, uh, perfectly in tune guitar G sharp is really sick. Let's see. I'm going to dive back into the Facebook group real quick. Cause I, 
I do this all the time. I I ask it like way too late. I ask it like 10 <laughs> minutes before the recording and then people are like, why did you not ask this yesterday? Um, because I'm dumb. That's why. Uh, but Spencer Hyam wants to know, he says, I'd love to know what cheap hidden gym pedals he loves, like sub $50 sort of stuff. Do you have any of those in your stash? Hidden gym pedals. Let me look. Oh, um, honestly, not any that are like $50. I've built a couple that were like 50 bucks that are pretty sick. Like I built the, uh, what is it? The Kurt Blue... Uh, brutalist oh, the brutalist yeah yeah that pedal is super sick and if you have even just a slight level of soldering you can put that together very cheaply and it sounds really good um i also built a uh what is that it's just some kind of fuzz pedal you just find some fuzz circuits honestly like one of the best ways to just like get into pedals is just learn how to build them because you can get cheap kits and uh Put them together yourself. They might not look nice, but you know you'll get an idea. So, what are some that, of your your preferred kit providers? Oh, I don't even remember. It's like Tone something, Tone Pad or something like that. I can't remember. I've only put several together. Tone but Pad. Oh yeah, that that sounds right. It's something like that. Um, but yeah, the Brutalist Junior was the last one I've made, and I've yeah. I like to tinker around with just little like circuit bent Casios and things like that to get strange sounds. Let's see. Sliding back over to the Facebook group. Andrew Spann asked a question that we've covered a lot of, but one of the things, one of the sections he asked is about the artwork for the new record. He says it's some of the coolest that came out last year, and he'd be curious to hear a little bit about how you guys chose it. Sure. So, uh, the band has worked with uh, Dan Seagrave, who did the artwork uh, before with like um, Dead Throne. And so we wanted to have artwork that kind of contrasted the, uh, the sound of it as well as just be super sick and epic and revolve around the uh, idea of hell. Um, so we talked to Dan Seagrave and he was down to do that. And then we kind of just collaboratively decided on like not making it just uh, just this super metal painting as the entire thing. Like let's break it up with a border and some some bold uh, artwork and whatnot. And I don't know, Mike Mike had more of a hand in the uh, art direction with that. So um, just yeah, we're all very stoked on how that came out. It's a uh, it's an it's intimidating looking. Like, well, that was like the first thing that stuck out. And I was like, man, those monster things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be involved in, in what, whatever's going on there. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> Other than, I mean, sonically, I mean, I love it. Right. But the, uh, the visuals, I, when it first dropped, I was like, woo, that, those kind of paintings and those, those scenes there that are really striking. I, they just remind me of some of these old, these old, old horror novels mm -hmm. that I would read as a kid that I don't even remember what the title was or right. who the author was, but like I would pick it out of the elementary school library and I remember bringing them home thinking, I think these are more than kids are supposed to be exposed <laughs> yeah. to when I was like 11. Mm -hmm. I was like, but I can't help but read about, you know, Beowulf tearing the arm of this monster off and then you flip the page and there's like a there's like a full-blown illustration of that happening right and I'm like i just don't know if this is intended for children but i'm so fascinated by right. all this this is crazy but uh yeah so what is it like like when you go to other countries and you're playing these songs and maybe for people who don't even speak the same language is that is that a weird experience or are you kind of used to it by now i mean it's definitely surreal like uh we were just uh in december we went over and did like russia uk and uh, europe and i've never been to russia and the band hasn't been there in six years so going there and it was like a crazy good reception everybody um the Russian crowd very much liked our new songs and it was great to hear 
hear them so interested and excited to uh to be a part of the show and 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 whatnot and hearing them sing back the newer songs louder than the older songs was pretty crazy to me um wow but yeah there's no way to like sum it all up because it's just such a wild experience i think we were all kind of blown away and uh surprised by that being such a crazy thing especially like uh one of our i guess softer songs as you would say chemical like the most people crowd surfing to that song and and just like going crazy was pretty crazy to see especially when we're playing like you know some zombie songs and things where people are still moshing and stuff but like it's nice to see uh people very interested in the new music that is quite different i was gonna say russia seems like it seems like such a, a such a crazy place for the United States citizens, especially people <laughs> yeah. like me who haven't really been to that many places. Is it as insane over there as we are made to believe that it is um, by the I media mean, and whatever else? I can't speak for the entire country. We were in probably their two biggest cities, probably the most um, wealthy cities being uh, St. Pete and uh, Moscow. But... I mean, it was beautiful. It was very clean. It was huge. A uh, bunch of us are like veggie vegans, and we were able to find like really good vegan restaurants and get our Starbucks and everything. Like, it was, uh, I don't know. Everyone's really nice, and they like are excited to talk to Americans. And I don't think it's quite as uh, crazy as a lot of us make it out to seem. It's a pretty nice place to be, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I was curious about because the perception that most of us have is very distorted. It's like yeah. Russia, you know, like, oh, man, this big, tough, scary, cold place, which I'm sure parts of it are that way. But yeah, I mean, we took what you're the, describing sounds more like Portland. <laughs> we took the, uh, the train from Moscow to St. Pete and, you know, some of the, the rural towns and villages that you pass by is is pretty crazy to see which is why i'm gonna say i can't speak about the entire country but where we were yeah it was, it was very nice is that the uh, the most different place you've been or, or where's the most different place you've um been? yeah maybe i don't know we've been to like slovakia and bratislava and just like those kinds of places uh, we were in greece in 2017 which was pretty crazy um, we did like Athens and Thessaloniki and like when you go to a place where like they have an entirely different alphabet and language that like you can't even assume to translate what they're saying. Like if you go to like Mexico or Germany or something like that, where you can like kind of get the gist of what is being said. Um, but when you get to like Greece and stuff like that, where you're just like, yeah, or like Poland was pretty crazy. Just, um, their language is so, so different. But at the same time, anytime nowadays you go anywhere, like everyone can speak English at least well enough to have a conversation and get you somewhere. And we're like the stupid Americans who just come in and we're like, yeah, I can't speak your language at all. Can you help me get to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> the entire world I just is don't like know where I am. just way ahead of us on, on language. Yeah, I think it has something to do with the fact that our country is so big and everyone pretty much speaks the same language. Mm -hmm. Like we, a lot of us never leave the country. And so it's like, what, why would, why would I, you know, yeah. spend time to learn something else? Whereas they have a lot of us coming there and a lot of them leaving and going to other places where right. it seems more of a necessity for smaller countries or different countries. I'm not saying it's better or worse. Right. We definitely should probably step our game up in that department. But it definitely makes you feel kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, when somebody just switches languages on the yeah. fly, it, you're like, wow, I'm not very intelligent. Right. This is I did not do good in Spanish weird. in high school either. <laughs> no, I didn't. I avoided it. I was like, oh, I'm. I, why do I need to do that? I'm American. Right. I don't need to learn anything. That was dumb of me. <laughs> Should have definitely took some Spanish. So stupid. That's okay. We're getting into the last little bits here of the podcast, and we've got some classic questions that we would like to go over. But before I do that, I like to give the guests the opportunity to kind of put up a billboard and 
say whatever they want to say, whether you want to send people to a, a particular website, tell them where you can, you know, where they can yeah. find you or just say something that you want to get off your chest, whatever you want to say. Well, I mean, we uh, maybe just a little, we're about to head out on a tour in March. So I'll just kind of plug that. We're going to go out on the We Came as Romans 10-year anniversary tour that they're doing with uh, our pals Gideon and Dayseeker, which will be a good time. Um, cool. Other than that, we're pretty much, uh, looks like we're going to be busy touring for the next two years. We've been going over scheduling, so maybe just keep an eye out on our uh, Instagram or Twitter and all that stuff, and you'll see dates and stuff. We're definitely coming to where you live. Okay. Well, if you have some time when you come to Portland, I'd love to say hi. Yeah. That'd we be will a good be up time. There sh- I think this tour goes up there. We will be there shortly. Sweet. So come on Right out. on, dude. Cool. Come on out, folks. Go check them out. It'll be a good time for you and the whole family. Well, maybe not the whole family. <laughs> leave, you got to probably leave the nine-month-old at home. Yeah. Probably not a good idea. But... You know, for the, the, the grown-ups in the house, you can go check out that tour. Okay, here we go. We're going with some classic questions now. This one, I've had a lot of people respond just way quicker than I would have ever thought, because I would have, I would really have to think about this one a little more in depth, but it seems to be on the tip of most, most people's tongue. What is your favorite boss pedal? Favorite boss pedal? Honestly, like... The DD3 through the DD6 is pretty great. It's just a great, maybe underrated uh, delay pedal. It's like the one that I started with. I think I had the DD3 first, then I got a DD6 where it had the like loop, mm-hmm. the loop ability, and that kind of changed. Uh, that changed my entire world. Being able to like write sections of songs or whatever, and, and show people as long as I didn't like hit the button. but yeah that or like just the tu2 honestly it's still like (laughs) tu2 and tu3 like being some of the best tuners still yeah they mean they they're like the tuner are they the first tuner pedal i think they might be oh i'm sure there is i don't know if like peterson was out before them or or something but you know probably one of the the first widely used tuner i would imagine yeah they've definitely become a staple and the DD series is great. Like, yes, I love the DD delays. They're What's fantastic. What's your favorite boss pedal? My favorite boss pedal, honestly, it's probably, it goes back and forth. Right now, it's probably the good old DS1. Yeah, it's I've, a great pedal. I've found, I, yeah, it's, it's, you got to set it a little bit differently than you would think. Right. For than, than what we've been conditioned to think. But I have found the DS1 with a baritone guitar it sounds insane. It's a great like, pedal. I was like, what? What? This is not the pedal that I thought it was. I bought one at Guitar Center uh, probably a year or two ago, honestly, just because it was it was on sale and it was one of the black ones. Mm-hmm. Guitar Center had a special run that was just black. I and, like that. Uh, it was, it's not the anniversary edition. It was one that was done specifically for Guitar Center. And, oh, nice. You know, in, in typical GC fashion, they... they didn't they just kind of price things all over the place and this was like 30 bucks and so i was like i want a black ds1 for 30 dollars yeah and, i need a guitar pedal today yeah exactly and i brought it home kind of not really thinking that much of it and plugged in i was like this ds1 sounds fantastic <laughs> what, what what on earth is going on right now i made a little video and put it on instagram i'll have to put a link in here or something yeah. link link in the show notes if i remember to do it <laughs> That's it's that or it's uh, the the BF was it BF two the flanger the old oh yeah the uh, purple guy fan yep yeah I like the BF two quite a bit so but I mean DS one for now the more I think about it they just have great like the RV five even like that's a great reverb they have a lot of great pedals that are underrated in our uh, modern times Boss is a I think they're finally getting getting the recognition from the gear snobs and I put myself in that category that they deserve in the last mm, two or three years. There was a time where boss pedals weren't cool. Quote oh yeah. Unquote. I remember that. And I was definitely part I of that snobbery. Yeah, I was too for a little bit. 
then I then I I changed my tune rather quickly once I really started looking at what they've actually accomplished right. over the years. It's it's pretty impressive. It's pretty bonkers. Plus, we wouldn't have all the boutique stuff if exactly. it wasn't for them. All right, this is the last question, and this is the one that kind of gets people in, into a little bit of trouble occasionally. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, that's easy. Um, okay, well, I put this into two different categories because there's like boutique pizza, and then there's like the pizza I eat on tour, which is okay. So my go-to standard tour pizza is a Domino's, a medium Domino's thin crust with uh, pineapple and mushroom. And you can fight me if you pineapple. don't like pineapple on your pizza. It's delicious. That's it. We're going to be doing fisticuffs next time. <laughs> Are you not a pineapple fan? I'm not a pineapple fan. And there, like, uh, listeners all know this, but that's it. Like, it's not that it's on pizza or it's not on pizza. I just don't like it most well, of the time. Okay, well, that's... That's a good answer because the people who like eating pineapple and then have this huge problem with putting it on their pizza is just, it's crazy to me because it's delicious. It, it's one of the best fruits it that really exist. <laughs> it seems to be about 50 50. Yeah. Uh, the group, you know, the, the Facebook group and the community around this show, it, it seems, and maybe it's not quite, I don't know exactly what the, the numbers are, but it, while, while pineapple lovers may feel alone at times, <laughs> It's it's definitely not the case. Lots of people like pineapple yeah, on their pizza. Because it's what? delicious. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a definitely a thing. Okay, that's your, your go-to tour pizza. And before we go off that, that topic, Domino's used to really be awful. It was and horrible, when they, 100%. When they, when they said that they, they, they changed here, what was it? six seven years yeah. ago maybe when they're like we've changed they really did it's substantially better than it was in like the early 2000s and the 90s it's yeah way better it's very good now so and they deliver pretty much anywhere so <laughs> it works out for me and they're open exactly. like till 2 a.m sometimes which is important when you're touring in russia because yeah, eating pizza at 2 a.m is really good for your aging body it's it's great. It's <laughs> I hear when you get into your thirties, you should start doing more as much of yeah. that as possible. Do do pizza. It's good for you. Do it's good for your body. It's good for your it's good for your aging touring body. Yes. <laughs> All right. What's the other side of that answer? Uh, the other side of that answer is if you're having some kind of like wood fire pizza or something like that. There's a place. I'm, I live in Kansas City. There's a place here called Il Lazzaroni. And uh, they have a great like ricotta mushroom pizza that's, you know, drizzled with olive oil like that obviously is better than a Domino's pizza. But, you know, I got to go with my go to uh, standard often delivery pizza. The one that's always there for the you. One that's always the there Domino's. for me when I'm starving and nothing's open around. Yeah. <laughs> it's either Domino's or Taco Bell. That's so right. Take your pick. And Domino's is going to come to you. Exactly. I'm not trying to go anywhere after a show. <laughs> Definitely not. Right on, man. So thanks so much for coming on. This was a, a good chat. Yeah. It was a fun time talking to you. And and maybe we have to do it again sometime. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. All right, everyone. For Kyle, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Do pizza. It's good for you. All right, folks, that is it for this episode of the podcast. Make sure and go check out the band and Kyle on Instagram and all that good stuff. She's really easy to find at Kyle Cypress. So there you go. Um, let's see what else we got. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, don't forget about hashtag find Tepe's Les Paul. Still really want to try to make that happen. I know it's a long, long shot, but man, what an amazing thing that would be if we could help out with that. That would be crazy. Um, yeah, if you like more of this kind of talk and all this nonsense, there's more on Patreon. In fact, there's a little more with Kyle over there on Patreon. We've got, well, gee whiz, almost 70 episodes over there, 70 extra bonus episodes on Patreon, if that's your thing. And that starts at just five bucks a month. You get access to all of that stuff. And I'm constantly putting up new content over there for those people. So 
Yes, if you could do that, that would help out the show immensely. And of course, just sharing with a friend, telling your family, telling your coworkers, anybody that you like to shred over, you know, shred along with, or you, your gear buddies, or online forums, wherever. If you can get the word out about this show, that helps me tremendously. So please do so. All right, I'll be back in your ears next week. Bye bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.